So if it's okay, I'm going to bring that back out. I don't know. It just kind of felt a little more relaxed. I, I also, I tend to pace, as most of you know. I get real excited. I'm a very excitable person. And so this is, I don't know, I like this. So we'll, we'll try it again and see how it goes. I don't know if I'll do it every week, but for, for right now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And we're going to journey through this gospel story together, all right? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The man, Jesus answered, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We're beginning our Lenten journey this week, our Lenten journey. We kicked off Lent on Ash Wednesday this past Wednesday night, Wednesday day, Wednesday night. Kathy preached for our 12 o'clock service, and she did a fantastic job. I preached for our 6.30 service and probably preached too long per use, but you know, you get what you get, I guess. Lent for me, though, is such a meaningful time. Lent, the season of Lent is an opportunity for us to be real, to strip away the facade that we show the world and the facade we try to convince God that we live in or that we have or who we are, and, and we repent. We say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. We say to people, please forgive me. It's a chance to experience reconciliation. It's a chance to ask for forgiveness. It's a chance to to reach out to those whom you've harmed and say, I'm sorry. Lent is really the most real time of the year um, because it's the time in which we're faced with our own mortality. On Ash Wednesday, we, we, we put ashes on people's foreheads and we say, from dust you were taken, unto dust you will return. Like, this life is very temporary. Your experience on this earth is very finite and it will come to an end. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the sooner we can learn how to live in the fullness of the life that God has for us. So I don't mean to be super doom and gloom and like saying like, oh, it's all about death and sadness. It's not. It's about reality. It's about owning what our reality is and being able to say, in spite of myself, in spite of my shortcomings, I'm still loved by God. And this journey to the cross, this journey we take for the next 40 days, really 46 if you include the Sundays, is a chance for us to really humble ourselves so that we can appreciate how magnificent that gift on Calvary truly was. And so as we journey through Lent, we're gonna be doing all the same um, scripture text together in all three services. We're gonna journey through the lectionary texts that are ascribed for these specific Sundays. 
The lectionary is this three-year cycle of text that helps you get through the whole Bible. We went through it last Sunday, and, and all of our sermons are always available on podcasts, and so if you miss a sermon and you just want to check it out, you're always welcome to go to iTunes. Um, but as we journey through these things, we want to highlight something specific about the gospel texts, and that is the geographical features that are taking place within the narrative. See, the Bible uses geography, it uses places to try to tell a story, to try to help us understand some things about the text without coming right out and saying it. So oftentimes in the Gospels, mountains are used for retreat. So it says Jesus went up on a mountain. It's to get away from the crowd, typically. It's to go take some time. Oftentimes we like to go to retreat to the mountains. So did Jesus. Um, Whenever it says the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that's the Gentile territory. And so saying something about Jesus' ministry, that's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles also. Geography has meaning. Jerusalem, whenever Jesus does work in Jerusalem, is typically some sort of theological reflection or scriptural interpretation in which he and the scribes, he and the religious elite are having some sort of discussion or beef. Um, And so Jerusalem helps us recognize this is the holy city. And so today, our geographical location is the wilderness. Lent begins by Jesus going into the wilderness. And the wilderness is important because it's really what the entirety of Lent is supposed to be. It's a chance not only for retreat, but of, of experiencing God and understanding humanity, of, of all those things we just talked about, about Lent. And so I would like for us, last week we told a lot of stories. We, in the past couple weeks we told lots of stories. This week we're just gonna really dive into the text and ask some questions about the scripture. Ask some questions about what is happening in this narrative. Um, I don't have extra stories this week because I think the Bible gives us such a rich story that we can just ask questions and sit with that. So does that work? Are we good? All right, let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said... Hey, that's pretty good. I think like, we've got the hang of it now, right? It only took us two years, but we got it, all right? So I've got three questions for us today, three questions. The first one's actually a two-parter, though, so I guess it's like three and a half questions. All right, why is Jesus presented with these three specific tests, and what does it say about who Jesus is, all right? So that's the first one we're going to tackle. The second is, what do we mean when we talk about the devil and evil? And the last one is, why is it important that Luke lets us know that this story happens in the wilderness, all right. So this first, what, what are these three tests that Jesus experiences and, and why are they significant? Um, the first test that Jesus is offered is to turn rocks into bread. Jesus has been fasting, literally not eating for 40 days. And so here comes the devil to say to him, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? You won't be hungry anymore. You'll be able to eat. You'll have your food. And Jesus responds by saying, man does not live on bread alone, but there's more going on here, isn't there? The gospel always, everything in the Bible always has more to it than meets the eye, right? And so they ask, he, he says to the devil, he says, man does not live on bread alone. As if to say, if I were to, to just turn these rocks into bread, what's to keep everybody from wanting me to turn all the rocks into bread? Have you ever thought about that? What if Jesus did turn these rocks into bread? And everywhere he went, the only thing people asked him for was bread, not healing, not so. They heard, this is the bread maker. This is the miracle bread maker, all right? And Jesus then becomes a food delivery service. But Jesus is trying to say with his response, 
You can get food lots of places, and yes, there are hungry people. Later on, Jesus even says, the poor will always be with you. But Jesus did not just come to to meet our physical needs. Man does not live just on bread alone. To truly be a human, to truly experience life, is more than just surviving. Being able to eat and being able to have, those are basic needs of all creation. But to live is more than just being happy and having your needs met. How many of us can say amen to that, right? Sometimes we think that we're just trying to make it till we get our happiness or we get the things that we think we want so that we just get like the basic necessities. Um, and there's so much more that God has for us and we often miss it, right? Part of coming to church is to experience the depths of life, the depths of relationship, the depths of fellowship. And Jesus said, I'd, I'm not coming just to help people feel physically better although Jesus does do healings, and later on Jesus does feed people. But man does not just live on bread alone. Humanity is not just about surviving. It's about experiencing the life that God has for us. So the devil moves on to another temptation. He moves on to a second temptation, and this one has deep political implications. This is kind of the one we really wish Jesus would have said yes to. I'm I'm being honest. If Jesus was gonna give in to temptation, I wish it was this one. Because the devil looks at him and he says, um, You see all of this. You see everything. I'm gonna give you power over all of it because it's mine to give. And I can give you all the political power on earth I can give to you. And for us, it's pretty tempting, right? Because all of us have thoughts about how we would do things if we were in charge, about how we would change this or that or what we would do if we were given the opportunity to really take control of the things that we're passionate about. And here the devil says, you know, you you can reorder the entire government, the way you want it to. Something important to remember. At this time, Israel is occupied by a foreign government, right? Israel is its own government, and the Romans have come in and taken over. So the Romans, is like if we as Americans had some other country come in and take us over and just live amongst us and tell us what to do, that's what the Israelites are experiencing. That's Jesus' people. And the devil's telling them, hey, you can reorder this. All your people want you, want somebody to come fix this, to kick out the Romans. You will be celebrated. You'll be in charge. You'll get to make all the decisions. You can just do things the way that you wanted to do it, and everything will be you know, perfect, just the way that you think it should be done. All you gotta do is serve me. I gotta just bow down to me. And Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I can't say that I would not have given into that temptation. Let's be honest, I can't say that I wouldn't turn the rocks into bread, all right? If I get hungry for like a day, I'm gonna turn some rocks into bread if I can. But but Jesus, that part wasn't, wasn't a big deal for him. Jesus said, no, even if it is yours to give, because he didn't deny it. He didn't say it's not yours to give. He said, Worship the Lord your God only. And so the devil moves on to his last temptation. The devil says to Jesus, he says, fine, you wanna talk about serving God? You wanna talk about being holy? How about this? And it takes him up into the temple's steeple, on the top of the temple, basically the top of the church. But the temple is like the ultimate church. This is the only place where real sacrifice can take place. This is where the religious things happen. And everyone in the first century knew that the religious order was corrupt, that there were issues within the church. And by the church, I mean the, the, the Jewish religion, the religious authorities, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who Jesus is often in conflict with. And, they look, and he, the devil looks at Jesus and says, hey, you can reform it however you want. You can be the Martin Luther. And Jesus is like, who? And he's like, he's, he'll be around in a couple of years. 
And he says, you can reform, you can reform this however you want it to be. You know that it's corrupt and you know the ways it should be done. Just throw yourself off of here and the angels will pick you up. They won't let you fall. And then everyone will know that you are the righteous one. Just think about this. This one isn't even like, the devil doesn't even really benefit from this one if you think about it. He says, if you throw yourself off, if you jump, you know that since you're the son of man, God will send his angels and they'll carry you and you'll float down and you'll, you'll be just fine. And then everyone will know that you're the most righteous person and that you've got God's favor and so you will have the opportunity to lead the people into a new reformed religion. And Jesus says, it is written, do not put, your, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And at that, the devil departs. He takes off until an opportune time that we'll hear about in about seven weeks with Judas. You see, th- these tests are more involved than just this first reading. There's, there's some depth there. It's not just getting fed because you're hungry. It's not just um, having influence. It's not just you know, being able to, to survive extreme sports. It's, there's more going on in this story. And I think it's important for us not only to recognize the depth, but also what it says about who Jesus is and what these temptations also mean for us. You see, these temptations for Jesus show that he is a human because to be human is to experience temptation, to experience testing. As Christians, we believe, and this is a really complicated thing to put into one sentence, but that Jesus was fully God and fully human. If you try to break it down, it's really hard to explain and it almost doesn't make any sense. But that's what, as Methodists and as most Christians, Trinitarian Christians believe that Jesus was fully God and fully, divine, fully human and fully divine. And so Jesus experiencing hunger, Jesus experiencing temptation, Jesus experiencing kind of the, the, the pull at the heartstrings that you and I feel every time something comes into our world, they're like, we could do that and it probably wouldn't be the best thing, but it would be real nice. Jesus felt that. Jesus has felt the sting of temptation and the humanity experience of being in the wilderness. And this just shows us why this is the man we choose to follow. I don't know many other humans that could say no to all those things, that could give up that kind of power. I choose to follow Christ not only because of the salvation that Christ offered me, because who Christ was and how Christ showed us what it means to live a fully human life. It also shows us that the Messiah, the Savior, the way in which we understand God to work is different than we often think. See, the Israelites, they were expecting Savior to come, Messiah to come, that would kick out the Romans, that would restore things. He would be like a military general. He'd come in on a horse, but Jesus doesn't come in on a horse. He comes in on a donkey, right? He's not born with pomp and circumstance. He's born in a stable. Everybody wanted this warrior. And you get this man who says to love your enemies. The savior we all expect, oftentimes the the God we all want, acts, speaks, and moves in ways that we are never expecting. That are completely even opposite sometimes of the way in which we are expecting. People wanted to do People wanted Jesus to do things on their terms, to answer the world's problems with very, the standards that the world sets. All right, here's a problem. Here's a way to fix it. Jesus, or Savior, who is to come, this is how it has to be done. But for Jesus to succumb to the temptation of the world would be to sacrifice the will of God. For Jesus to succumb to 
the temptation of the world would be to sacrifice the will of God. There's nuance here, there's subtlety, but there's deep reality in these stories, is there not? But it also begs a second question, one that I really did hesitate to bring up because I feel like I'm about to open Pandora's box and um, Kevin Carter's already laughing at me. For those who don't know Kevin Carter, Kevin just laughs. He just laughs. So, so if he's laughing, it's because I'm about to say something he thinks I shouldn't say. <laughs> so, so there's a big overarching theme in here about who is the devil and what is evil. And I think sometimes we conflate a lot of stories in the Bible. And I'll first want to say that sometimes I think we underestimate evil by giving too much power to the devil. Because evil is so real in this world. And sometimes we think we can just personify everything into this one being. As long as we avoid the devil, then we're going to avoid evil. But it's a lot more nuanced than that, is it not? How many of you have experienced evil and never actually seen the devil? Because I have. I've experienced evil in so many ways in our world. And so here's the thing. I think a lot of our stories about the devil, we, we, we put together as assume there's this thread from Genesis to Revelation about this one figure and character. But the character that we're hearing about here in Luke might not actually be the same character we hear about in other times. The snake, the, if, if this is kind of the, the narrative in your minds you have, you're not alone. Lots of people make this connection right here. That there's a character called the devil in the story, and he's the same as a snake in Genesis. And he's also someone named Lucifer that has fallen from heaven, who used to be the most beautiful angel. He now has a pitchfork and rules over this place called hell, but is allowed to come to earth and roam around to pick on us humans. And that's a lot of kind of the, this, this, the typical kind of narrative of who the devil is. And those stories don't actually all relate to one another. Some of them are actually talking about King, ne- King Nebuchadnezzar. Some are talking about the personification of evil when you think about it from John's revelation. But I very much believe temptation, evil. There's some supernatural experience force that is working in this world, and I don't understand it. And I don't want to limit its power by just saying it has to be this one thing, because I think in doing so, we underestimate how pervasive evil actually is. And I think that's what Jesus is coming up against. In the story, the word for devil, if you actually, if you read it, it's a Greek word called diabolos, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word hasatan. And that's why sometimes Satan, devil, you know, they become, because it's two different words. Sometimes they're talking about the same figure, sometimes they're not. But here's the thing. Have you, did you notice in the English translation that the word devil is not capitalized? Throughout the Bible and in our own lives, proper nouns are capitalized right? My name is Woods, capital W-O-O-D-S, right? That's actually my real first name. I know some of you don't believe that. It is. But the devil is not capitalized because it actually means an accuser. It's a, it's a term. It's more of like an office or a position or, or, or an antagonist figure. We don't capitalize the word antagonist, do we? This is this figure who's come to tempt Jesus, to show temptations, but to give it the credence to say like that is the opposite of God is to put too much power into one being's and not appreciate the pervasiveness of evil in the world. I think what Luke and the other gospel writers are trying to do here is to show us how infectious evil can be, how powerful whatever the supernatural spiritual force out there is, and how even Jesus was tempted by it. Sometimes we assume, well, Jesus is just the Lord over all things, and so Jesus, but Jesus himself was tempted by evil in the desert, in the wilderness. 
So don't hear me say that I don't think that these things are real. I do. I think that they're very real. I just don't understand them, and I don't want to unappreciate it. Brian Zond, he's a pastor in Missouri, he said that the devil in this story is less of a person, but more than a metaphor. It's a phenomenon that is almost indescribable. The devil is a phenomenon. Evil is real. There is infectious nature of evil in this world, and we need to be aware of it because it affects us every single day because just like Jesus, we too are human. Every day, these devil, accuser, evil, something is at work in our world. It's often personified in us, in our actions. I don't understand how it works, but I do believe that Jesus experienced it too. This absence of the will of God, this something tugging at him, trying to convince him to do something other than what God called him to do. Brian Zahn goes on to say in that book, he says, the kingdom of God is built on all that the kingdom of Satan is opposed to. Instead of rivalry, there is to be love. Instead of accusation, there is to be advocacy. Instead of violence, there is to be peace. Instead of domination, there is to be liberation. Instead of maintaining a vicious cycle of beastly empire, Jesus comes to establish the humane kingdom of heaven here on earth. All these things are here to work against us, to work against us as we try to journey into the will of God. The accuser says to Jesus, hey, you can have all, all the basic needs and you can help people make people happy. You can have all the power of the government, the political system. You can reform religion. All you gotta do is give up the will of God. And this is, brings me to our last question of why I think it's important that Luke points out that this all takes place in the wilderness. I think Jesus in the wilderness, like many of us, is at his most vulnerable. And when we are at our most vulnerable, evil is at his most powerful. Can anybody identify with that? When, when we are at our weakest, when we are in our isolation, when we are alone, when we are not surrounded by community, when we are hungry, we are vulnerable. When we're spiritually hungry, we are vulnerable. Me, when I'm actually really hungry, I just get really angry. I don't know about you. Like, there's multiple facets to this. But, but when we are at our weakest, the supernatural powers of evil in this world had their best chance to succeed on us, right? And Jesus was in that very place. Jesus experienced the wilderness that you and I experience almost every day. I'm not sure how many of us are in wilderness experiences right now, but, but let me just kind of describe how I understand it. And if you're there now, I, I'm pr I want you to know that maybe the Lord is trying to offer you some comfort. If you're not there now, hold on to these words because you will be. The wilderness is, is when we are alone, when we think that there's nobody for us or with us, when we think we have to tackle all of our problems by ourselves, when we think that there's something going on and only we can fix it. How many of us say, I just want to fix it? The wilderness is when we've lost a job. The wilderness is when we hate our job. The wilderness is when we have family issues and we don't know how to, to bring reconciliation. The wilderness is whenever there's no one else that seems to be on your side and everybody else seems to be against you. The wilderness is a real thing. And we often find ourselves in those desert places, do we not? But I think what I take from this text, what I hear in this story, is not only is it real, and not only when we're there, our temptations 
the easiest to succumb to, right? When we're at our weakness, if something's there to help us bring, to easily bring us out of our temptation, we're gonna take it, right? If it's gonna make us feel better, we're gonna do it. If it's gonna temporarily solve a problem, even though it's not like the best thing to do, we're gonna do it. Even if it's evil, if it gets us out of the wilderness, we're gonna do it. But there was once a human who experienced those very things and he was able to withstand it. And not only do we have that person to look to as an example, we still have that person with us as an advocate. We still have that person with us as an advocate. There is nothing that you have done. I say this a lot, but I feel like it's so important to say because I never know who's here. There's nothing that you've done or experienced, nothing you've been through or witnessed, nothing you've said or heard that can separate you from the love of God. Even if you're in the wilderness and you feel alone, God is with you. Sometimes all we can sing, God, is that you are good because we don't understand how you're here or what God's doing or where God's working, but we believe in God. And if you believe in God, then hear me say this. I'm standing up now because I'm serious. Life gets really tough in the wilderness. Lent makes us reflect on that toughness. It reminds us of the hard things we've been through. It reminds us of the hard things that are going on. It reminds us of the decisions that we've made that we should not have made. It reminds us of the pain we felt because of somebody else's wrong decisions. It reminds us of the evil that's in this world that we don't understand, but that is very real. And even in all of that, we have a God who came to earth to show us how to get through. We have a God who came to teach us what it means to fully be human. And in those times when we can't, in those times when we fail, we have a God who offers us forgiveness and love unconditionally. A grace that cannot be earned, but is given freely. So whatever it is that you are heavy laden with, Whatever it is that you can't get through, whatever season you're experiencing now or you have experienced or you're going to experience, Christ went through it too. In the end, all of his friends abandoned him while he was nailed to a tree. If there's anybody that can identify with what you're going through, it's Jesus Christ. If there's anybody that can help us get through those things, it's Jesus Christ. And so in all things, may we worship this God. May we worship this Savior who is intimately familiar with our experiences and is intimately present with our lives.